on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. You are 96% more likely to achieve your goals if you have a specific time that you're meeting with somebody and they're going to hold you accountable to that. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? Chaz Wolf and Gathering the Kings. Got a king on the stage today, Carl Diffenderfer, my man. How are you? I'm really good, man. Thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. In my mind, from all the times that we've interacted, and then just even now when I remind, was asking, hey, just remind me how to say your last name. I was saying it like, like in the loop yeah. <laughs> until I got it out. I got it out. How did I do? How did I do? You did all right. Yeah, Diffenderfer. You got it. <laughs> Perfect, man. Hey, thanks for being here. I know we've already been able to start a unique relationship. It started how most of my connections start, but it has definitely taken a different turn. But before we jump into any of that, tell me what kind of business that you got, brother, or businesses. Yeah, in this case, it's businesses. I'm a serial entrepreneur and investor in businesses, but my passion is teaching business owners how to how to ramp up their business to be what they want it to be. And that can be many different things. Everybody has a different goal for their business, but yeah. I'm a business coach and I'm in the top 3% of coaches in the world. I love that. And you're doing something new in the business coaching space. Give us just a quick snippet on that. So I've been coaching for about 10 years now. And a lot of people have said to me, Hey, how do you do that? I want to learn how to do that. And, and there are many people, I guess I'm going to give a plug, a shame, whatever you call it. Uh, yeah. A shameless shame, plug. Yes. Shameless plug, plugless shame. That doesn't work, but shameless <laughs> plug. <laughs> How many people do you know that can generate over six digits, not into seven digits, but in way into six digits in less than 10 hours a week of work. And there aren't many people that can say they can do that. And so as a coach, it's my goal to just help people figure out how can I get to six digits? And what I do right now is I coach business owners, but I'm shifting out of that into just coaching coaches. And I've been coaching coaches for about five years. I've been written my own curriculum. It's a business operating system for them. And we also have a ton of other systems that we've added into our toolkit. And it gives the coaches an opportunity to become a six-digit coach. Yeah, I love it. Love everything in our interactions. Just real quick for the listener's sake, we met, I'm pretty sure through Facebook or yep. some sort of social platform. And then we jump on a quick intro call, which I do with most guests, what someone from my team or myself. And we find out that the next day you're going to be in Kansas City, um, yeah. which was pretty crazy. This was a couple of months ago. And yep. so we had a quick, quick chance to actually see each other in person. And <clears throat> it's been off to the races ever since. From a faith perspective, from obviously both married with kids and we knew some of the same people here in Kansas City. It was been, it's been a small world. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say everybody though. Yes. We look the same size here, but when I stood next to him, he was towering over me. Like <laughs> I felt like a midget. Yeah. Chaz is a very tall dude. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny when you're listening to somebody or in this case, when you see somebody on zoom, you kind of don't realize that you don't take that into account. And I've heard that countless times meeting somebody for the first time in person and say, Hey, <laughs> you're a lot taller than, than I thought you were. Anyway, 
Carl, I want to know, before we get started, before we get into your story, let's say, why do you do this? You've been successful. I know you got plenty of money. You've got a great family. You don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. Why do you? So I, I'm going to share a story. Hopefully that's okay. That goes along with this. When I was uh, maybe 24, 25, I was working at a church. And in the church, my job was, I was a youth worship leader and I was a graphic designer. And so I did all that and had a lot of fun doing it. But I noticed that there was no entrepreneurship inside of the church. It just was missing. It was like, no, these are the rules. We follow this and do this way. And I hated it. It was like, not me. So I had the opportunity to start my business and started it. And uh, I was out in the business world. and I was like, wait, where is God in all of this? Why is God not part of the workplace? And as time went by, I realized that the marketplace is a great place for us to talk about God, to talk about our faith and to share who we are as followers of Jesus to the world around us. And that's really my heart is to bring church to the workplace. Um, but not everybody knows that. I don't, I guess I just shared it publicly here, but I don't often say it publicly yeah. um, because I just want to help people first. And then if they're like, Hey, what's going on with you? You're different. Like I pray for a lot of people and stuff like that. And what keeps me going, helping bring more people to understand who God really is and God's love for them. Yeah. And I would say even in our interactions, obviously that I'm a man of faith as well. We've had these conversations, but just to mirror back to you, almost what you just said of your desire to really do that for people, even for people like me who already have what I would consider a very strong faith and leading my family in that. In our interactions, we've slipped in and out of lead generation. We've slipped in and out of branding and this, all this business stuff. And then it's, hey, dude, how can I pray for you? And that, I know that resonates inside of you. I know that those things are true because I've experienced them. It's also cool and unique how you said, really, it's about excellence, right? You are living in a certain way. You're living at a certain standard, not impressing necessarily that upon others, but it draws attention right? Mm-hmm. And the likeness of Christ in that way, or the excellencies in that way, draw the, the question mark. And so then that gives you the opportunity to be conversational, to be relational, to be helpful, whatever that moment calls for. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, hundred percent. So one of my biggest pet peeves with the faith community is the fact that we create a facade of how amazing we are. And it's bullcrap. I'm just calling it now. If you read Revelation 12, 11, it says that the enemy is overcome by the word of the Lord and the power of our testimony. So God's word overcomes the enemy and our testimony. But if we're going to live in denial about what's actually going on in our world, somebody is struggling with suicidal thoughts or somebody is struggling with porn or somebody is struggling with getting angry at their kids. I don't care what it is, whatever it is that you struggle with, If you're not real about it, you can't fix it. And so that's part of the reason I'm a coach. Let's be real with each other, people. And so in my coaching, and you've seen me do, I've done this with you, Chaz. Like I'm transparent about where I'm at. And some people are like, wait, you're not here? No, I'm still working on it too. Yeah. And so I think that's a big piece of this too. Just being real with each other. A hundred percent. I think that vein of being authentic or being genuine, that relationship tool, call it a tool or call it just what actually builds real relationship is obviously impactful when it comes to faith or the community of faith, but, but it's in business too, whether it's that person that gives you the opportunity to share your faith, or in this case, you're just building a business, you're growing a team member, or you're helping someone through coaching, or there's just so many interactions that happen relationally that where if we don't know how to be genuine, or at least open about it, or at least 
some sort of a fashion to create relationships, how can we move forward is my thought. And a lot of people think that it means that, okay, now I got to beat you over the head with my Bible. And it's not that at all. It is actually as simple as saying, how can I pray for you? That is a great door opener. I've had atheists give me prayer requests. Chew on that one. And it's, I just say, hey, how can I be praying for you? And the guy that I, the atheist that I asked this, he's like, I guess, what's it going to hurt? And, but what it does then is I pray for him a couple of weeks later. Hey, I was praying for that. How's that going for you? And honestly, that's all I'm doing. I'm literally just praying. I'm not fasting for days or anything. I'm just praying. And he'll be like, hey, you never guess what happened. That actually, I just had it happen last week with a guy out of New York. He's like, yeah, this, the problem you prayed for got fixed. And, and he, I don't think he would say that he believes in God. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity. I love your heart behind it. Tell me, you said you mentioned there, you left the kind of like the confines of the structure, the bureaucracy of not corporate America, but of the church. Yeah. Same story that a lot of entrepreneurs go through. We left the structure to do our own thing. What was that initial thing for you? Because you're a serial entrepreneur, you've done lots of things. What was that initial jump for you? So the entrepreneurship was in me from the very beginning. I just didn't know it. And I did many different types of jobs. I worked in construction. I worked in a mechanic shop. I worked on a dairy farm, I, many different types of things. I worked for my dad at an auction gallery. And that's really where I got exposed to the different pieces of business of how it all fits together. He owned an auction gallery and I worked for him. I'll never forget the one time counting $100,000 in cash because people paid cash. And it was like, holy cow, that's a lot of money. And I was in my early 20s and ended up realizing that I wanted to get a degree in digital arts. So I got a degree in digital arts and worked at the church for a while. And as I was working there, it just wasn't working. It wasn't a good fit. I was bored to tears. And people would come into the church and say, hey, who does your website? I need a website. And that was honestly the beginning of my business. And from there, it it flopped, didn't do so well. I had a friend rescue me, pulled me into corporate America for a little while while I continued to grow the business. Okay. My wife, I'd work on it in the evenings and my wife would work on it during the days. And then about 2006, I went full-time. 2008, I hired my first employee and we were award-winning in 2010. We had an award that we won and 2012, I sold it. Wow. And yeah, I was 32 years old and we had acquired some of our competitors along the way and through all of that. So here I was 32 years old, started grew, won awards, bought competition and sold by the age of 32. And people are like, wow, how did you do this? Right. And that's why I became a coach. Okay. And so obviously the mindset of how you built it is how now you've structured a lot of your coaching. So I'm going to try to lean into that a little bit, obviously Mm -hmm. for the listener's benefit, but then also to just so the listener knows, like if some of this stuff resonates, (laughs) I want you to reach out to Carl because he might be able to help you. So the reality here. As you went through this progression of ah, almost flop to then we started getting some traction. What was that moment where like, why did it started? Why did it, why did the momentum start to go in the right direction? I mean, well, I tell people get, do glue. These are the three elements that have to exist in a business, get business, do business, and the glue that holds it together. If you work on all three of those, especially in the startup phase of an organization, you'll do fine. And a lot of people don't focus on the get in the right way, getting business. They And I'll never forget, like all the websites I built, people would say, oh yeah, you built me a website. Okay, I'm gonna get all these leads. No, it doesn't work that way. And it's great when it does, but it doesn't. And I- Part of the equation to get leads. (laughs) Yeah, so I literally, my businesses were all built off of networking. And until recently, that's still what I was doing. A lot of networking, a lot of networking. Like the year of COVID, I did 500 meetings with people I had never met before in my life. Yeah. Over Zoom. And uh, 
Yeah. I'd say getting business, figuring out how to get clients was the biggest piece. Right. Which it's it like, I think, I don't think anybody's shocked at that answer. Right. Like right. <laughs> in order yeah. to get a business really rolling, <clears throat> you talk to more people. Wow. You filled the pipeline, such a simple concept, but you just gave us like the perfect, okay. In COVID 500 people, that's on average two and a half people per day. Yeah. Go or, big or go home. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so what led you to, okay, freaking 500 people, or I'm sure it happened obviously way before that, because you had the other businesses before that, where did that mindset come from of get, do glue or do glue, do get, get glue, do glue. <laughs> get, get, do glue. It I'm, makes me think of Dr. Seuss It's like the gooey, gluey, booey, gooey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm battle, full of those little idioms or whatever you call them. Yeah. Um, that, so I, over the last 10 years, I've been building a curriculum called the coach's toolkit and it, but it's really an operating system for business. And so as I coach people, this stuff comes to me and I document it in my coaching notes, they get the notes, but then my team, my overseas team takes those notes and compiles them into what I call my coaching nuggets. And I know that's a weird word. I don't know why I chose nuggets, but Golden coaching nuggets. nuggets. <laughs> and it's, yeah. I don't know, it's probably about 50 pages long now. It's huge. Yeah. And that's my kind of repository of places to go for ideas about how to handle situations or do different things or create more tools or podcasts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So go get, go get more connections. Uh, go get more leads. Go get more, go make more phone calls. Seems so simple. That gets activity going and gets the pipeline flowing. Give us what happened naturally after that. You had you momentum going, but yep. then you didn't start buying competition and winning awards just because you filled the pipeline. Give us kind of like maybe the next couple of good decisions because I'm going to trail this out a little bit. So this happens to every startup and we're talking more about startup today than where I'm actually at in business, but this is okay. Sure. So then you, you figure out how to do the work in excellence, but also in efficiency. And so I figured out, okay, this is what I need to do. I'd say around 2011, my focus up to that point had been on sales. Yeah. And I shifted to profitability. And that was the year that enabled me to sell it. We went from 15% profitability, about 44% profitability over a year. And that was key. something that somebody was willing to buy. Yep. At that point, they were like, oh, wow. Okay. And it really was because I wasn't open. Um, so I have a team in the Philippines that worked for me full-time and great people. That was around the season that I adopted that mentality. I had fought that before. I'd said, no, keep working in America. Why would I take jobs away? But honestly... I've never struggled to find employees. They want to work hard. They're good people. I'm able to overpay them and provide for their whole family as opposed to just them. So I'm making a difference in the world. It's amazing. So that was part of the transition was getting a team overseas that works for me. Yeah. Would you say that getting a team and then obviously the next part of that sentence for you was overseas, yep. just getting a team is part of the mentality of being able to get to that place where you have something valuable to sell. It's interesting you say that. So I say that there's several different mindsets that a business owner goes through in their journey. The first mindset is the entrepreneurial mindset. And that is, I should say entrepreneurial mindset is the overall mindset, but hobbypreneur is the first. And hobbypreneur is, okay, this is fun. I might make some money. I might not. I don't care. This is fun. Yeah. Solopreneur is where you're starting to make some money, but you're by yourself and you you don't really have any desire to move outside of that. Entrepreneur is where you're moving through the growth phase of your business, the chaos phase, and also starting to put in place the operating system. But the business owner mindset is when you say, I want to work less and make more. And not, not every entrepreneur says that. They just work more to make more. 
And that doesn't work. And then the final mindset is the, I'm going to call it the legacy mindset or the kingdom printer. And that's really when you're like, okay, I want to leave a legacy in my business and in everything that I do. How do I do that? And um, so the heritage that you leave behind is very important. Uh, a couple other phases inside there. This is all part of my book that I'm working on writing right now. So you guys can read this when I release the it. Exclusive but... access. Yeah. <laughs> It's the uh, the different phases of the mindset of entrepreneurs. I love you sharing just the different mindsets there because I think I know I can relate to each one of those. And I think that the different stages that we go through, I think it's actually pretty similar to manhood or yeah. even in fatherhood, like the different things that we are, the different roles or identities that we have. There's, uh, there's growth and there's maturity. There's stages that we work through. So I love that perspective. What do you think is maybe, and then I'm going to transition to a little bit more of your story, but what do you think keeps people in the solopreneur or in that entrepreneur stage, either too long or for always? Like, why are they stuck there? Because that's, that's where our listeners are, generally speaking. Yeah, that's a great question. So sometimes it's fear. People have asked me, what's the criteria that creates success? To me, it's actually conquering your weakness more than it is riding the coattails of your strengths. Boy, that's a good quote. I will have to, we'll have to get that one back later, but don't worry. I got a quarter. <laughs> we'll take care of it. <laughs> I have always had the mindset of, okay, I'm going to just dive into whatever it is that I'm afraid of. And then I don't feel like I can conquer yeah. and I'm going to figure it out. And I see a lot of business owners that just want to like, look Stay at away. me. Yay. Yeah. And it's like, no, let's figure this out once and for all. And so I've spent many, many, I mean, hundreds of hours. I'll say there, I've created a formula that really works. I use this inside of coaching all the time. I'm going to share it here now. I hope that's okay for me to take yeah. a little time to share it. The formula is actually the formula to success inside of you as an individual, but you can use it inside your business too. And there's a series of steps. The first step is pause, take a breather, take a moment. Don't do anything, just pause. That creates space for you to be to reflect and say, huh, okay, this is how this is going. This is how this is going. That creates awareness. And how many people have we ever met that they're not aware of what is actually holding them back? So we have to pause and reflect and create awareness. A great way to do this is journaling. If you don't have a journal, highly recommend it. I have a whole bookshelf full of journals back here. It is one of the success criteria of people that are great. Read about anybody from the past. They all had a journal. Once we have awareness, okay, first of all, do I know enough about this thing that I just became aware of to be able to conquer it or to move into action? Or do I need to know more about it? And so if I need to know more about whatever that thing is, I'll get books and start reading and learn. That eventually moves into the next stage, which is intentionality. You can't have action without intention. Your intention is actually your will. It's your drive. It's what's going to push you into that action. Once you have, so then you move into action. Your action has to be the right action. It has to be done in the right frequency, the right amount. You have to really make sure you're doing the right thing with that. Sure. And then as you're doing that action, then you need to measure your success. And with that, you need somebody holding you accountable to it. You are 96% more likely to achieve your goals if you have a specific time that you're meeting with somebody and they're going to hold you accountable to that. And by the way, shameless plug, once again, for coaching, you're going to have a 400% in return. 400%. That's insane. It is. <clears throat> and for those of us who, who have gone through coaching or spent money on activities, just like what you're saying, holding to accountability, 
And in some of these very basic principles, but that get applied through a coach or through a program of some sorts, I think it's something that we can relate to, but then that it's always a good reminder that we, that it's like, we have to re up again. Yeah. So, that's just it. It has to, the only way is to start back over again. And that's also part of the walk with getting to know, to working into coming into a relationship with God. Okay. I got this figured out, God. Yeah. Look at me. And then the next week, Oh yeah. But what about this over here, Carl? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Yes, Lord. And so it's that it's, the same cycle. And that's why I said it applies to many different places in our lives. I am tracking with you. You got me excited to, to re-up. Okay. So I want to flip the coin completely. I want you to okay. tell me about a, just a really bad decision. You have given us several ways to make really good choices. Give us one of the bad decisions that you made that you can share with us. Yeah, I was, I've been contemplating which bad decision to share because there's way, there's tons of them. I'll share one here. I have another one that any of you want to hear my testimony offline, I'd be happy to share it. It's not something I've shared very publicly yet, but it is something I'd be willing to share with you offline. So if anybody ever wants to grab a virtual cup of coffee, be happy to share it with you. But this one is, it's a good story. So when I sold my business, I actually, there's two parts to this. So number one is I had a business partner that actually helped me create the overseas team. And I came to find out that, and, he, and we were unofficial business partners, by the way, never do a business with somebody without actually having official paperwork. He had his business. I had mine. We're going to be 50, 50 partners, but we never signed anything. Got it. So I still own my business. He still owned his. I come to find out that he was doing some things that were to the IRS were wrong. For him and I, it worked fine. I wasn't losing money, but to the IRS, they were going to have a problem with it. And so I went to him and I said, hey, we can't do this. This is a liability for me and my family. I'm sorry. Like we, we got to stop doing this. And he didn't stop. And uh, so I had to reset my company. I rebranded uh, pretty much overnight, reset all the pa passwords for all the websites that we had and started from scratch. I went to all the clients and said, Hey, we're rebranding. This is the new contract. And it was pretty intense. Yeah. Fast forward a couple of years, by the way, the second part of this is be careful how quickly you trust people, trust people, but trust them slower. Um, I trust people too quickly. And so uh, fast forward a couple of years, just was in the process of selling my company and the gentleman that I was working through it with. My wife had a check in her spirit. Looking back, I had a check in my spirit, but I didn't follow it. And what ended up happening was he backed out of the contract a year and a half in, but he was my soul. Like he, we had three years of payments and, but he was also I was working with him. So he was also my revenue. And mm -hmm. so not only did I lose hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I also lost my revenue. So I went twice in my career. I went from six digits to zero overnight. And so I guess the moral of the story is be careful how quickly you trust people. And then also have a contract and have it reviewed by a good attorney and have them uh, really make sure that all the exit strategies are in place with your business. It's so important. And uh, anymore, I don't mess around with that stuff. My business partner, we I own a tiny home company. And sometimes he's like, why are you so picky about all this phraseology in the contracts? I've uh, been down that path. And so learn once <laughs> or burn me once, my fault. You know, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So thank you for sharing that. I, like I said, there's kind of two parts there. It's the trusting piece. It's making sure that things are official, even just the deciding uh, of maybe who or how long, Ooh, like yeah. you said. How would you instruct someone now listening that had just heard that goes, okay, I was thinking about partnering or, ooh, I have a partner and we don't have an agreement <laughs> or am I trusting too quickly? They're now questioning themselves, maybe in the same position that you once were. What would be your advice going here forward? 
It's not going to be what you expect to hear, but everybody looks at skills and abilities when they look at partnerships, when they look at people they work with, the people they hire. I say that you want to look at values. What does the person believe? And what are they going to do when the going gets rough? How are they going to respond? Are they really, truly 100% all in or things get tough? They curl up like an armadillo or they run away or they fight back, whatever it is that they do. You need to know how they're going to handle conflict. So I purposefully will poke people in the interview process, try to make them mad just to see how they respond. I'm not doing it to be a jerk. I'm doing it because I want to see when the when we throw the gloves off, what really happens. So that's the one part of it. And then with that, make sure you have not only how the relationship's going to work, but also how the relationship's going to work if it falls apart. What's your exit strategy? How do you value the company? Have all that defined up front so that when when this business partner says, yeah, this isn't working, okay, we've already defined how we're going to value this. There's no disagreement now of, okay, you think it's worth this and I think it's worth this. Can't do it then because it's all in contracts. And people say, you should trust me. Sorry. (laughs) I don't. I, it's not that I don't, it's just that when I they can't, when they, yeah. And yeah, people, when the going gets tough, people that are going through maybe a divorce or something like that, they make yeah. really bad decisions in their business because they're scared there. And so it's just this like fear of, okay, I'm going to just have it, keep everything close. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I changed my word there from, I don't to, I can't, and it's not that you can't trust that person. You can't tell what they're going to do in mm-hmm. the sticky. Yeah. In the sticky, I like that. In the sticky, that's good. Because <laughs> there's, like you said, the fight or flight mechanism pops in. Sometimes history, personality, scarcity, limited beliefs. That's when it gets real. So I, I think that's why a lot of people stay away from partnerships altogether. But I think that's a level of scarcity even in itself. Yeah. Okay. What would you say, like when it comes to decisions, just in general, maybe you could put your business coach hat back on, or maybe even just you as a business owner yourself. Is there some some sort of a discipline or a process that you have around making decisions? Obviously, we want to make good ones. Do you have a a process that you follow? And so you're talking about just in, give me a little more clarity on that. What do you mean? Yeah, I don't want to give you clarity, but (laughs) because I want you to, I want you to hear. Say the question again then. Yeah, yeah. So I want you, I want to know when a decision comes to your desk, Mm -hmm. what do you do? What is there? Are there steps that you take? Is there a mindset that you have? Is there some sort of a discipline that you kind of walk that decision through in order to try to make good decisions as well? Okay. Yeah. I believe that we as human beings have the ability to, I'm going to use the word flow, flow in the natural and flow in the spiritual. Okay. The natural is the cognitive and even the emotional side of our decisions. The spiritual is us being in tune with what God wants in a situation. And sometimes what he wants isn't going to make sense. So for me, the first step is really going before the Lord and saying, okay, God, what is it that you want in this situation? After that, now I'm a high risk taker. So I tend to look at a decision and say, oh, that sounds like fun. And then later, like, oh crap, why did I do that? But it's also what makes me really successful in business. And so there's a counterbalance to that. So I would say I research, I evaluate the person if there's somebody that I'm making the decision with. Uh, based on their values, not based on anything else. And also relationally, like I, we were looking to buy a property at one point that was an investment property and I, and we were going to have an investor involved. And I said to him, I said, Hey, you know what? Tell me a little bit about yourself. He's like, why would I do that? I'm just giving you money. 
Yeah. And I was like, Hey man, I want to be in relationship with the people that I'm doing business with. And so we, I passed on it and he was not happy. I'm sorry. I want to know you. Yeah. It's not just a transaction. So those are some of the things that I look at. I love it. Yeah. It, a lot of your answers have come back to the process of treating people or seeing people or yep. the relationship piece, which we know for you stems from just the ability to help and, or even maybe be a blessing. But I think it resonates through any business for every listener here today. It's like when you're making the decision, there's going to impact people. And to your point with the investor, you're getting in bed with this person. And just like I'm going to consider my spouse and a marriage contract, that's how I make decisions in business as well. Yeah. yeah so you want to test them and really seek to go deeper in the relationship before you dive into something. And if you get any just like concerns, be really cautious. Yeah. Because they will, they'll blossom into something bigger down the road or, yeah. Yeah. And most likely. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to come at you at a couple different angles here with some different types of questions. Sure. We call it the speed round, but inside here, I want to know a couple of things. First question is this. I want you to take maybe just your current business now, or your one of the businesses that you're working on. Maybe it's this is coaching coaches. And I want you to dwindle it all the way down into one metric that you yeah, would track forever I, I, and ever if you could pick the one. Yeah. This is a great question. I gave this some long, hard thought. We talked, I briefly mentioned earlier the idea of the amount of hours worked compared to the amount of money made. And I think what you, the amount of time you work compared to what you put in your pocket, what you put in your pocket, not what your business makes, but what you put in your pocket is a great indicator of how successful you're doing. I'm now at a spot where I have some clients paying me over a thousand dollars an hour. And that's what I, that's where I want to be. Maybe even 5,000 up to 10,000. Another piece of that is, do you believe that you're worth that? If you don't believe you're worth that, you'll never get paid that. Right. Uh, that depends what your business is. But so yeah, the amount of hours worked to the amount of money that you make is my metric. It's good. And I assume that you're teaching your coaches the same. So it makes sense, especially yeah. inside that business. Yeah. And I, yeah, no, that's good. We can stop there. I have more to share, but I'm sure you'll get to it in some of your future questions. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. What book would you recommend that a six-figure business owner read who's trying to get to that 1 million in revenue mark? I want to say the Bible, but that's so cliche. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about this. You had given me the list of questions up front. I, It's a really tough one. Um so if you're trying to create stability in your business, if you're trying to make your business run more like a machine, then I'd recommend something like Traction by Gina Wickman. Okay. If you're trying to grow your business, there's a guy by the name of Bradley Sugars. He wrote a book, Instant Cash Flow would be that one. If you're trying to figure out how to create drive in yourself or your forward motion of you, then let's say the 10X rule by Grant Cardone. And if you're trying to figure out how to ramp up your sales, I would say a book called Pitch Anything by Oren Claff. Amazing book. So I know I was supposed to give you one, but there's, depending yeah. on what you're trying to accomplish, I would say one of those would be good. And there's one other one. Yeah. The Slight Edge is very powerful. It's, it's all about Figuring out those 1% things that you need to do to create the 100%. So there, I cheated. I'm sorry, but there's <laughs> you over-delivered. You didn't just give me a list. You gave me a quick rundown and specifically the output of what that book would deliver. Darn it. Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> looking for something different in their business. Yeah. And by the way, the other thing too is, is your mindset blocking you from being able to disconnect from your business? Everybody struggles with that. And if you are blocked in that, then you've hit a ceiling. You need to break out of it. 
And so a lot of people say, oh, I can't delegate that, or I have to do this, or whatever you have to, knock it off, get rid of it. Hire a coach to help you get it out. Automate, delegate, eliminate. One of those three has to happen if you want to have freedom in your business. And then also remember, that makes your business worth a lot more money if it doesn't depend on you. Yeah. 100%. Going back to your specific comment, I had a guy that came in back in June inside of the mastermind and talk about this exact same thing. If you don't, if you're not building a business that's, that holds any value, they can't buy it from you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you can't exit. Even if you don't want to sell it, you can't exit if there's nothing valuable happening on the inside without you. Yep. Okay. Next question is, do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? I intentionally and I unintentionally, meaning that I'm very selective about who I meet with and why I meet with them. COVID was a a little bit of a, more of me saying, all right, I'm going to 10 exit for this year, just to make sure that if anything happens, I'm prepared to have the network that I need. But yeah, I have a group out of Long Island that I'm part of, that is a private group of very influential people out of New York City. And then I have a few masterminds that I attend around the country throughout the year. What does yeah. that do for you? What are you, what are you getting from those different groups? So for me, it's interesting. Like that's when I fill up my journals or that I put a lot in my journals during that time. So I'm listening to what people are saying. I'm taking notes. Yeah, I'm networking some, I'm meeting people, but sure. it's more about me clearing space in my mind and just listening to what people, Michael Hyatt was at the last one I was at. It was a private, private mastermind, invite only. And it was really good. I learned a lot there. So Yeah. Just creating space for me. Yeah. I love that. Okay. I don't, I often skip this one, not on purpose, but because we don't have a lot of time, but because it fits into your category, I want to give this as an opportunity for you to maybe talk into this. The question is how much do you spend every year on personal development? So I'd like for you to answer that, but then I'd also like for you to, like, what would you expect? You know, if you're coaching me, what would you advise me to spend on personal development? I would say, I would advise you based on the ROI of that personal development. So one of the things that I do as a coach is I show how I pay for myself. And so if I'm not paying for myself, you're welcome to fire me. And so we identify, one of the things I didn't share in here yet is we uncover $100,000 hidden profit in less than an hour without spending a dime on marketing or advertising. So if I'm not helping you create more $100,000 more net profit in our first year in coaching, fire me. That's okay. How much do I spend? I was thinking about this. It's each year it would probably range between 50 and 100,000, let's say 30 to 100,000, depending on the year. So yeah, decent amount of money. Yeah. Okay. The question that I didn't send to you, which I'm super excited about getting off the cuff, wild card answer here. If you only had one hour, in your business to operate your business each week, one hour each week, what would you do with that one hour to successfully run your business like you do now? And it can be one thing only, or it can be multiple things. You can do it. You just get one hour. Just one hour. The founder of Virgin Radio, I think once said that it's all about moving down into just what you do 1% of something inside your business and everybody else does everything else. So I probably would have, this is going to sound crazy, but one to three minute, very quick meetings with probably five key people in different divisions of my business, 10 minutes. I'd be spending a little bit of time in prayer saying, okay, God, give me direction. I would be writing, creating the next piece of curriculum. And I would be, I'd probably, I, you're going to laugh at this. I'd probably charge $10,000 for a 15 minute coaching session for somebody or something like that. And uh, limit yourself <laughs> to only 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, that's a great question. 
but it would be more about shrinking down what I do into little, the little small pieces and very efficient pieces as possible. Yeah. hundred percent, which you can't do unless you remove yourself, which to your point earlier. Yeah. And be honest, I hit a ceiling here recently. I re I realized that my ability to influence people was really in the 10 to 12 people that I'm coaching at a time. I coach about 12 business owners at a time and I have coaches and they're growing their, their coaching clients and really got turned on to this idea of if I coach coaches, then I can influence over a thousand business owners and over 20,000 employees through my coaching. And that right there is huge. That's kingdom fruit or a kingdom eternal treasure. That's what I'm working towards. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Last question here for you, Carl. Yep. If you lost it all, everything you have today, gone, what would you do? Well, I've already done that twice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would rebuild based on what God told me to do, if God told me to do that. So I'd spend some time in prayer, probably get away for a couple of days. And so if I lost it all, meaning I have zero revenue, zero assets, zero nothing, like I'm pretty much homeless. Yep. Yeah. I'd spend some time talking to the Lord, but I'm a go-getter. So I'd probably rebuild pretty quickly if I felt led to do that. I also would go to the church and say, Hey, I need some help. I think that's what the church is for. Yeah. That's so. good. I love that perspective because even if we know that's what it's supposed to be for pride, ego can get in the way sometimes. That's very unique that you would say that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Carl, you've been incredible. How can someone listening today, you've dropped so many things where if I'm in their shoes, I'm wanting to figure out how to get a hold of higher impact. You, maybe one of the coaches on your team, maybe some of the listeners today want to become a coach. Uh, yeah. a little side, I don't know, like how can they find you? Yeah. So I have many different websites that are focused on many different things. Our corporate website is higherimpact.me. But I'll tell you, like if you want to get a snapshot of one of my books and get access to our business academy that we have, you can go to breakthrough.university. Breakthrough.university. That's a great place to connect. And otherwise, my email address, Carl, K-A-R-L at higherimpact.me. And my fake mobile number that you guys aren't getting my real mobile number, but my fake <laughs> mobile number is 717-689-4227. Yeah. You got to be honest about it not being the real one. <laughs> yeah. You have the real one, Chaz, but I'm not handing that out to just anybody. Hey, that's all right. They'll figure out how to get in touch with you if they want it bad enough. Yeah. My, my information's all over the internet. Yeah. Good. I just so appreciate your time. I want to open it up just to one last little thing, like anything else you'd add from our conversation here today? Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Chaz, and uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. If you look at David's life in the Bible in Psalms, David's life period, what do you think made him a man after God's own heart? Because he royally screwed up. He was a mess. So what made him a man after God's own heart? I think you could go this direction, or I think you could take this a lot of different directions is my initial thought. And my analytical brain is kicking in right away. He's the youngest of a long line of boys. So he's the smallest and had to fight on his own. He got put out with the sheep and that put him into circumstances where he had to literally fight for his life and for the life of the sheep. And so I think that he was naturally due to the pecking order, due to his birth order, due to just the time that he was born, he was put in circumstances where he had to figure it out for quote unquote, lack of better terms. And I think what that did for him was his first thing, like what you said was help. Lord. And so I think he just got, he got into a routine of asking first, which carried through to his whole life. And so the Lord responds, the Lord has responded to me in those moments. This happened to me just this last week. I had some crazy circumstances going on for guys like us that move fast. Sometimes it's literally 
Yeah. That's about as long as the prayer goes. And then it's back into the motion. Yeah. And I think that's what David mastered was the help Lord. Yeah. And then the pause. back into the battle. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I use the word pursue. He just relentlessly pursued God. Yeah. And so when we, my question, my final closing thought to everybody listening, are you pursuing God? That's really all that it matters. If you're pursuing God, seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be added unto you. For me personally, that means my personal time with the Lord is the start of every day. It has to be first because otherwise I just, I get sucked into everything else that's going on. And so your mind, body, and spirit, get up and take care of your mind, read a book, read a chapter a day. You'd be surprised how many books you read in a year and it doesn't take long to read a chapter. Your body, work out, get to keep your body in shape and your spirit, pursue God. And really what I'm after this year, God gives me a new word every year. This year, the word is presence. He wants me to experience his presence. And part of the reason I was at the send, Jazz, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Carl, you have you have shown up and showed out, as they say. So thank you for being here. We wish you nothing but success, blessing on your family, your businesses, all that you're, that you're working towards. Thanks, Chaz. Appreciate being here. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.